We have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to worship You in song and to celebrate around the Lord's table. We thank You for the opportunity to hear Your Word. Mindful of the fact that of the 7 billion people in the world, a third of them have the ability to hear because the Word of God is in their language and there are those in their family, their, their clan, their, their people who are able to take the gospel to them. A third of them, they are within reach of the word and yet no one is reaching them. And then a third of that seven billion has no access whatsoever and no plans have been made to reach them. And so one, we thank you for the amazing opportunity to know your word, to know the name of Jesus, to know that that though we have fallen and sinned against you, that there is an opportunity for recovery, that you are gracious to us, that you sent Jesus, that he is our substitute, that he takes our place and takes our punishment, and therefore we can be forgiven. We are accepted. We are adopted as your children. We thank you for that. And Father, as we've read, those who knew life, those who experienced it, those who met Jesus, they proclaimed him. They had fellowship with the Father and with the Son, they entered into this new relationship of acceptance and forgiveness. And then they made it known to others. As John says, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Father, I pray that as we open Your Word and as we look through the storyline and see what it is that John knew and where he stood in the story, and he knew what he had to do, I pray that that we would say, as your children, that our joy will not be complete until we are part of sharing it with others, as scary as that may be. That we would seek to use the gifts that you've given to us to reach others. We pray that you would use us by your grace and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we, as we read, the Apostle John had a distinct advantage when it came to sharing the gospel uh, in, in the sense that he had seen and knew Jesus. When Thomas, who had seen and knew Jesus, if, if you recall the story, maybe you don't know it, maybe you never heard it before, uh, when Jesus was, was raised from the dead, one of his disciples Uh, I don't think doubting Thomas is a good name for him. I think he was accepting of the facts, Thomas. 
The other uh, disciples were beginning to report that, that he had come back from the dead and that he was seen. Listen, this kind of stuff does not happen, Thomas says. You people are crazy. Unless I can put my hand in his wound and put my, my finger in the nail hole, I'm just not going to believe, is what he said. I think if, if I, th- I think a lot of us would have been there, right? Had, had, we, had we known Jesus and then saw him die and be put into a grave. Let's be kind to Thomas, right? When Jesus appears to him, he presents his wounds. Thomas cries out, My Lord and my God, confronted graciously with the evidence of Jesus' resurrection, Thomas acknowledges that Jesus is indeed standing before him and is alive. And this is what Jesus says. Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Uh, Jesus knew that there would come a time when the eyewitnesses would fade off the scene and we would be left sharing. Having never seen him ourselves, having never experienced what they experienced. Uh, And so the church, since the passing of the apostles and the crowd of 500 who saw Jesus raised, have, have had this burden of sharing, having never seen Jesus. But the encouragement is that Jesus says that we are blessed for having believed and not seen. I want to talk this morning uh, about uh, how to share... Uh, and, and taking it a step beyond just uh, uh, sharing the, the four points of the gospel, you probably have, have heard these. I, I think I've shared them before recently, that the gospel is basically four points. It's God, Christ, man, response. God, Christ, man, response. God is good. He created us, right? Man, that we have fallen and deviated from his original plan, that we've sinned against him, and we are not in an acceptable state before God, and we cannot get there by our own works. God, Christ, uh, sorry, God, man, Christ, that God sent his son as a substitute to take our sins upon himself, live a perfect life, and to take our place on the cross. And then response, we're to put our faith and trust in what God has done for us, not just to believe that it happened, but to love it and delight in it and say, that is my only hope. That's the gospel in four points. But you might think, man, I want to be able to explain this to somebody a little bit better. And so that's what I want to focus on this morning. But but talk a little bit about what I plan to do over our, our services for the next month. Do I need to turn this off, this microphone? Okay. All right, we're good. It's going to keep going. Somebody needs to go back there, or it's going to keep getting louder. Thanks, Tiff. All right, It's, it's, it's coming. The feedback's coming. It's coming. Okay, thank you. Very good. All right, so... Um, I just knew it. You guys are all going to be like, my ears. You know, it was it was going to happen. Let's talk a little bit more about the gospel then. Uh, you can draw the story of the scriptures on a napkin in just four movements. Okay? And it goes like this. Creation. Fall. Redemption. And then the conclusion, let's call it 
culmination. Every story has to have a point, right? You know, you can't just leave the people hanging. There needs to be there needs to be some kind of resolve to this. The story has to go somewhere. So you can you can mark this out four quadrants on a napkin, and you can explain the the story of the scriptures: God, man, Christ, response. But but history is going somewhere. The the, the gospel presentation that many of us are are, are familiar with that that cross diagram or this God man Christ response grid is a a micro telling of the story that that relates to the individual but there is a big story encapsulated in the whole scripture that that if we know it and understand it not only will we be making some progress in understanding the the entire story of the scriptures but we'll also know where it is that we stand in that story and what it is that's coming next so I'd like to show you a way of breaking down these steps even further. What we have in the, the scriptures then, pardon me, my paper is just a little bit crinkly here. There we go. Um, my dog walked on that end of it as I was uh, cutting the paper uh, in my, my dining room yesterday. Um, what we have in the scriptures is that God created man and woman We'll give her a little bit of hair. She looks like Wendy, right, um, from Wendy's. Uh, so, so God created man in his image, right, as the pinnacle of creation. We see this in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, that God created Adam and Eve. He created Adam. He set him over the creation and gave him authority and created him in God's image and told him to fill the earth in God's image. And we're told over and over again that it was good. The summation of the creation at the end of Genesis chapter 2 is that it was very good. That was God's design. But, but as we move from the idea of creation uh, to, to fall, we see man destroy that pattern and, and begin to crush God's plan. In Genesis chapter 3, we're told God gave Adam one command. Do not eat from the food of this tree. I think it could have been almost anything. But, but, but the, the command had to be that there was a limitation that God knew the consequences of. He would explain it to Adam and he would say, if you step past this, you're going to ruin everything because I'm king and you are creation, created servant, created uh, in, in my image. But if you transgress and step beyond the boundaries that I've set past you and no longer trust me, you sever the tie between us. And so we see that Satan appears and says, has God really said? He, he uh, entices Eve and then Eve entices Adam and they disobey God's commands and we see them fall. They fall from grace. They step out of God's plan. So what we will notice is that as the story of Genesis goes on, that, that the human race falls farther away from and begins to move further out from what God's plan is for them. Separated from God, traveling away from Him. They sin against Him at the tree and we see the seeds of 
all of humanity's problems sown into their children. So we see Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. If you know this story, then you will recall that, that Cain brought the fruit of the ground and Abel brought uh, animals to sacrifice to the Lord. And the Lord was pleased with Abel's offering because he offered it in faith. He was not pleased with Cain's offering. Cain offered the fruit of the ground which God had cursed and he did it in unbelief just as a way of, of pleasing God, but he was still living for himself. God did not accept Cain's offering. What did Cain do? He rose up while they were in the field and he murdered his brother and he hid him. And so we see the, the seeds of all of humanity's problems here. I, I, I think of this as the, the farm, Right? The family of Cain that grows out of this uh, becomes increasingly more and more violent and moves further and farther away from God's plan for them until they plant a city uh, led by a wicked king named Lamech who, who feels like he has no reason why he shouldn't murder anyone who bothers him because of, of, of Cain's example. So that that is the, the next level there. And then we see the story of Noah. And we find this in Genesis 6 uh, through 8. God's command to Cain, I mean to Adam rather, was that he should fill the earth. But what we find in the scriptures in Genesis chapter 6 is that the earth is filled, but not with what God desired men and women living together in harmony and in peace, but it was filled with wickedness and violence all the time. And it says that every intent of man's heart was only evil all the time. And so we notice that that the world is, is full of these cities, these settlements of humanity, but they They are not what God desired nor what He intended in His original design. And so now the world is full of wickedness and so He decides that He's going to flood it and to destroy them. When they disembark from the ark and begin to... Hey, that rhymes. When they disembark from the ark... Oh, if you enjoyed that, it's going to get even better. Um, so, so, so they disembark and, and they are then supposed to fill the earth, but instead they decide that they're going to build themselves a tower. And we see this in Genesis 11, that they're going to build a tower for themselves, make a name for themselves. I love in the story where you would, you would think that a, a, a sovereign God who's in control of everything would know exactly what was going on. But the way the story is written is that they're building this tower and they're going to make a name for themselves. Uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible lays the story out where, where the people are saying, we're going to say, we're in charge. Look at us. Pay attention to us. We're the greatest. And they're going to, they're going to build their tower up into heaven and they're going to surprise God. Right. But but what happens is, is the, the way the story is written is God hears the sounds of construction. He's like, what are they doing down there? And he and there he goes down to see their teeny tiny tower and and investigates it. And and he says, look, if, if we allow them to continue to do this, nothing that they set their mind to will will be restrained for them. And so he confuses their languages and they begin to to spread out through the earth. And so God sabotages the human 
empire. And we have been working as a human race ever since, I believe, to, to create these empires, these kingdoms, these civilizations, and to regain control. You can feel this in, in the political winds, that somehow we are going to unite the world around some, some perfect government, some king, some leader, some principle will arrive and will be unified and we will do it without God. We have gone further down and further out from His created intent for us. That takes us to Genesis chapter 12, where as they have emerged from the ark and God has confused them at the tower, He then announces His intention to embark on a global plan to redeem the world. And we see this in Genesis 12. One through three. Throughout all of this, we see the grace of God. We see the, the grace of God evident to humanity through all this, though they have sinned against Him and defied Him and done things that He has, has forbidden them not to. When Adam and Eve sin against Him in the garden, He... This is going to be so lame. Just it just feels. The, the, I'm going to say it, but I just I feel so vulnerable and exposed right now. Uh, he takes uh, Adam. Uh, he takes animals and he kills them, right? So so he makes a carcass, right? Cark, ark, and bark. Come on. He takes this. These animals. Late breaking laughter there. You're like, go away. Um, so, so he takes these animals and he, and he kills them as a, as a prefigurement of the work that he'll do on the cross. He, he slays these animals and creates skins of covering for Adam and Eve so that they might be, that, 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 that an animal might be sacrificed for them, that their sins would be covered. When Cain cries out that his sin is too great and that somebody would determine that he was the one who murdered Abel and that, that, that vengeance would be taken on him, God shows him mercy and places a mark on him. See, they all run. You like that? Fancy. I didn't come up with that. I groaned at the carcass thing too, but I figured I'd do it for comedic value because you appreciate Bad jokes. Um, so he places a mark on Cain that Cain would be spared. When, when God sees that the world is full of wickedness and violence, he allows those who have found his favor to retreat into an ark and he saves some of humanity alive. And when God confuses their language at the tower, he chooses at this point, I believe that he had chosen in eternity past, but he chooses to reveal to humanity, to Abraham, his plan to save the world. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. I believe this is the, the functional passage that determines everything else that's going to happen in the Old Testament. God reveals that he has this plan the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and to your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in him who, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth 
shall be blessed. Think about that. God now says, I'm going to show grace to all of these nations, all of these clans and groups of people that have been created, though they were rebelling against him. His plan is to show grace to these families through this man, Abraham. Now, I just want to point something out that humanity has struggled ever since with the implications of their identity. We're all born into the world with this burden of having fallen away from God, of having disobeyed Him and being born into a a, a family of humanity that is alienated from Him and rebellious. And so this is what we see, the the way of humanity. Judges 2.18 kind of lays it out. I'll spell it out more specifically in just a moment. Judges 2.18 says, Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge. A judge is kind of a deliverer hero who saves the people of Israel from their oppressors. He saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. This is the the struggle of humanity. Okay, We start in in a place of prosperity or peace. Maybe you're experiencing good times right now, right? As as human beings, we tend to say, things are good. I can relax and, and take ease. And so what happens? We begin to forget. And we begin to drift and to fall away from God, right? When things are bad, do we pray more or less? When, we, when things are bad, do we read the Scriptures more or less? Right? When things are good, we tend to think like God is pleased with me. And when things are bad, we think God is not pleased with me and I need to seek Him and, and come to Him and, 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 and pursue Him. And so what happens is as they forget, they fall into sin. And as they fall into sin, God turns them over to oppressors. And then, when they are oppressed and in need, they suddenly realize that they have traveled far from the God who created them, and they realize that they need deliverance, and so they cry out to God. And they say, God, deliver us, help us, save us. And so, what does God do? He raises up a deliverer for them. And He saves them and brings them to a place. We see this happens over and over in the book of Judges and it happens over and over throughout the Bible. This is one of the reasons why in the book of Proverbs in in chapter 30 the pro, the, the writer of the Proverbs says this, two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. That's a that's a double negative there, right? So it's 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 don't keep these things from me. Remove from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, don't don't put me in this place. And don't put me in this place. Keep me from these two places. Why? This is what he says in verse 9. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? 
or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord. He's saying, keep me in a place of, of humble, connected dependence on you. That's what God created humanity to be, to be humble and to remain close to Him and connected to Him and, and, and dependent on Him. And when humanity sinned and fell away, we entered into this cycle. Imagine the foolishness of, of purchasing a brand new vacuum cleaner and saying, I am going to use this myself without any dependence on the power company. I am never going to plug that thing in ever. I'm just, you know, I already spent so much money on it. Look at it. It's beautiful. And then you're just going over and over the dirt. And you're like, someday it will work. You fool. Right? Why do you pay your power bill? You know, plug that thing in. This is the way that humanity was designed is to be connected to God. But we've fallen away. Something else emerges in, in the midst of of, of, of learning this, and that's the way of Adam is the way that leads to death. Adam thought that by achieving independence from God, by raising himself to a, a lofty place, by being proud and saying, I don't need to obey God, I can do what I like, that he would be independent, but it did not lead him to independence. It led him to death. The Bible says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. God provides an alternative to this way of living because He's good and kind and gracious. We see this in James 4, 6. It says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud. Those, those who say, I will ascend, I will be free, I will be liberated. I don't need God. That way leads to death. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Instead of arrogance and, and pride as our example, instead we look to the Lord Jesus as our example of the way to live and to relate to God. Jesus came and he humbled himself. He laid aside His glory and became obedient even to the point, the Bible says, of death on a cross. And for that reason, God raised Him to life and gave Him the name that's above every other name. The way to death is to disconnect ourselves from the life of God and pursue our own life and our own identity. That leads to death. Instead, humility saying, I understand that, that I need to lay aside myself and my independence and my pride and my love for things that God hates and I need to humble myself, that leads to life. Listen to what Jesus says about Himself, John ten seventeen. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. 
humble dependence. Well, the plan of God overcomes the vicious cycle and it overcomes the the Adam-like way of living and it replaces it with the way that Jesus lived. My board may collapse, but i got to move it. I started to take this thing apart this week. I know that that made some of you very sad, um, but you're not going to be able to see this. Yes, drama. Somebody's like, don't let it fall apart. I hear it. Um, it's not going to fall apart, don't worry. But I think it might just be a little obscured. My wife says every week she's nervous that I'm going to like get tangled up in a wire and trip over and fall. Thank you, sweetheart. I appreciate that. Um, here, here's what God does. Throughout the Scriptures then, we see that, that everything is, is traveling. Uh, the, the story is building up as God begins to build this nation. He, he creates the nation of Israel, and then that nation is destroyed because of its wickedness, brought back onto the land, and that nation produces its greatest citizen, and that is the Lord Jesus. He lives a perfect life. He, he observes all of God's commandments, and then he goes to the cross. And so we see the beginning of heading back towards the Lord as Jesus, a man, is put to death on a tree. Isn't that interesting? It is a, a, a tree that is the cause of humanity's problems. Humanity is the cause of humanity's problems by the instrument of a tree. Galatians 3.13 says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He took the pain and the penalty upon himself. We see this. This story is laid out in Matthew 1 to Acts 1. We see the redeeming work of God as he sends a singular man to save all of humanity. This man, Jesus, takes our place. He takes our sin upon himself. But God's not content just to have one perfect person. He wants to redeem humanity. And so we see a step closer towards God's design as the early church is born. This is uh, God's farm system for for saving the world. Uh, we learn about what's going on in, in the church, the life of the people of God in the books Acts through Jude. As God begins a, a movement of people who are discovering what God does in the cross when they, when they hear the message about the fact that they can receive salvation and forgiveness of sins and new life, they're brought in to this, to this church and the movement begins as they begin to, to spiral up as they begin to, to come back closer towards God's design. And that leads us to when? To now. The scriptures are, are closed. The last book that's written is Revelation. We'll put it on the board in just a minute. But, but that brings us to now, the time where, where God is showing mercy and kindness to people and inviting them to be reconciled to him before judgment comes. And it will come someday. That's what the scriptures teach. God began a movement at the cross. I want to point out something to you. You might not, you might not know this, but that from the end of the early church, when the scripture was closed until the year 
1900, Christians were just 2.5% of the world's population. 2.5%. From 1900 to 1970, they became 5% of the world's population. That's double in just 70 years. From 1970 to 2010, they became 12% of the world's population. Do you realize that right now, we are living in the times of the greatest gospel growth in the history of the world. Now, we might not see it because we look out and we see the decline of our nation, to which we should not say, shame on God or on his work. We should say it's time for the church to get about its task of sharing the gospel, of, of being revived internally, that, that we might recommit to the principles that we've been called to in life in Christ. And then that, that God, when his people are prepped and ready to go and to do their work, they would then experience an awakening in their land. You have revival when people who know the truth and who have fallen asleep or have died are resurrected and brought back to life. That's what ruin revival takes place. But in our culture, out in the wider culture, there are tons of people who've never seen a Bible. They've never read the Scriptures. They know the name of Jesus Christ, but they know it as a curse. Those people don't need revival. They need awakening. They need to hear it for the very first time. And so we need to position ourselves as, as gospel proclaimers to say, look, you don't know what it is that you're supposed to return to, but we will help you. We will speak to you and, and share with you in a way that will make you say, that's amazing. I have never heard that. We know you haven't. Because we have forgotten as a people, we've moved far away from God. Our task right now is to take the gospel to the nations, but it is also to look and to take the gospel to our own nation. Right? By nation, I don't mean the United States. I mean when we think about the difference between the ethnic groups. There are hundreds of ethnic groups out there who do not have the scriptures in their language, who could not call upon Jesus if they wanted to because they don't know that he exists. And then there are the us. People like us who need a different approach. Our task is to take the gospel to them. To take the gospel message to them so that they can hear it and understand. Let me, let me point out to you what I just said in another way. All right? After the end of the early church, there was one Christian for every 360 people in the world. Now, these numbers, right, the world population begins to explode. This is back in A.D. 100. If you, if you fast forward to A.D. 1000, there are 270 people for every single believer. 1,500, the number is now 85 for every one. You see that, right? Our chart is starting to go like that, right? We're starting to see some, some exponential increase. By 1970, it's 21 to 1. By 1970, we've, we've cut it down to, to 21 to 1. By 2010, it's 7 to 1. If every single Christian in the world would go out and share the gospel with seven people, everyone would know. Everyone would know. Isn't that amazing? 
Didn't we think it was getting harder? Maybe, in the back of your mind? God is doing a work. Look, the, the works of the, the miracles and, and all of those things aren't just confined to this time. Do you know what the most impressive, incredible miracle in the Scripture is? You might say it's the resurrection, but, but I don't think it is. Listen, Jesus himself preached, and at the end of his earthly ministry, you know how many, how many followers he had? He had 120. Peter preaches on the very first day of the church. But the gift of the Holy Spirit has been given. And the miracle of minds being transformed, hearts being brought to life and responding to God in the way that He has been calling them to begins to take place. And 3,000 people come to Jesus on that day. The greatest miracle that takes place, the, the most intense, difficult work, that God does, that we ought to be impressed with, is transforming human hearts. Look at how it's happening now. It's happening in, in amazing numbers. I believe this. Jesus says, says, the one who believes in me will do greater works than I. He had 120 followers on the very first day, on the birthday of the church, 3,000 people came in. Peter exceeded Jesus' evangelistic capacity. This is Jesus' plan. Jesus isn't up in heaven like, wait a minute, you know, saying to his father, wait, wait, you know, why'd you do that for him? No, this is the plan. The plan is for this amazing gospel growth to take place. What will happen next? We're here. I don't have a red marker where I put the red dot up there. You are here. We have an amazing opportunity. If, if we as a church would just lay aside our preferences, if we would say, I'm going to go all out and all in to share the gospel with people. I'm going to do whatever it takes short of sin to share with people, to share that, that, that people would know Jesus. This would not be difficult. God is still doing a great work. The next great date on his calendar, I don't know when it is, but God is going to make a new heavens and a new earth. We see this in the book of Revelation. As God brings his empire to this planet, as God brings his, his empire to the world, and we see humanity, Adam and Eve, all human beings, restored to their union with God. And we will see him and know him and be with him like John was, like Adam and Eve were in the garden. So, let me, let me draw this home to a challenge. Jesus told Thomas that he saw and he believed. And then he said, blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. We, we are heading to that Thomas-like experience where one day we will see and know God. In the meantime, the way that we express our faith is we look towards that day. 
We look towards that day and we say, we want this to happen. And we know that we have a task. We have a mission to complete. And so we are going to work at it. Now, I want to make it ultra easy for you. Okay? This is, this is my hope. Hopefully, you, you've got a, a practical way now that you can, you can share. I love some of you have posted these pictures on, on Facebook. You come up, take a picture of it on your phone. Ask me if you've got any questions. I'll walk you through it. You can draw this out on a napkin um, and, 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 and share the, the meaning of the scriptures with somebody. You could share this. You could share this. You don't have to draw the whole thing. But you can, you can lay out the storyline of the scriptures. So you can use that in your personal evangelism. Another thing you could do is you could say, hey, everybody in our culture thinks that they should be in church in two weeks. Right? They at least know that they're supposed to be in church on Easter. And so you could invite. And what people who study churches say is that the heartfelt invitation to somebody who you have a relationship with is the number one way to get somebody to hear the gospel in church. So uh, we had our own Amanda McWilliams paint this little pretty card. Right? You got one in your bulletin? I love this thing. It's so cool. Uh, and on the back of it, it's got four different sermon titles. You can say to someone, you should come and hear the message uh, next week about the fact that God cares about us. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection, the promise of eternal life. I am the light of the world, that there's a purpose and a place and a plan that the world is going somewhere. And then I am the vine. Where does spiritual power come from? I want to challenge you. There are 500 of these things out in the lobby. They were dirt cheap on the internet. I love it. (laughs) They're pretty and they were inexpensive. And so we got them for you. Now, let's use them. Make a plan in your heart right now and say, these are the people that I'm going to invite to hear the gospel. You love them because you wrote their names down and you've been praying for them. So let's take an opportunity to share with them and let's believe that God is still doing this work today, transforming and changing human hearts. And we will be careful not to exalt ourselves and say, we did it, but instead to say, as Jesus taught us, We are your humble servants. We'll give all the praise and glory to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to to be here this morning. We pray that as we begin to close down, as we move to sing this final song and and to take our offering, we pray that, that we would be incredibly careful not to be arrogant, or offensive when we invite, but to invite from a heart of love and to demonstrate that we care. That we care for them just as Jesus did. Secondly, Father, may we not be so disconnected from our mission that we say, well, I could try, but no one's going to believe. No one's going to respond. No one's going to come because you put it in the heart of humanity to search for you. You put it in the heart of humanity to desire to be connected to you. And so I pray that you would, by your grace, 
move in our hearts that we might act like ambassadors, Father. I pray if there's anyone here this morning who, looking at this board, thinks, I am, I am not okay yet. I am not connected to God. I am not right with Him. I do not know that I have life or that I'll be with Him. I'll be separated from God for eternity because I am still in my sin. I pray that they would simply trust in the work of Jesus on the cross. God's grace for their righteousness. And that they would turn in faith and trust in Him and then share their decision with somebody. Father, we thank You for Your goodness toward us and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've come